Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The UAW reaches a tentative deal with Ford, and it could set a pattern for General Motors and Stellantis. Meanwhile, women across Iceland, including the Prime Minister, go on strike. And today on the show, the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO and the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees. Welcome to the Thursday, October 26th edition of America's Workforce, where... We are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Well, a lot has happened in the last 24 years. We got a tentative agreement at Ford. We'll get to that in a minute. Our first guest on the show is Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, and he's going to give us what he knows about that deal. Not much is coming out. I'll get to uh, more of that in a moment. But the big story out of Washington is we have a Speaker of the House. His name is Mike Johnson. He's from Louisiana. He was first elected to the House in 2016 and now serves as Vice Chairman of the House Republican Conference as well as GOP Deputy Whip. And I'll tell you, from what I've been able to gather, and Bill's going to talk more about this, he's not very friendly to organized labor. In fact, Rich Fiesta, who we just featured on the show last week, Rich heads the Alliance for Retired Americans. He said, Mike Johnson is not a household name, but he's made it clear that he has no intention of protecting seniors. He has taken dozens of votes that put the needs of drug corporations, Wall Street, and the wealthiest Americans ahead of older Americans. Rich went on to say it's pretty outrageous that Johnson announced plans to create a so-called debt commission during his first speech as speaker. That commission, which would meet behind closed doors, is supposed to come up with schemes to cut the Social Security and Medicare benefits that Americans worked a lifetime to earn. This is undemocratic, dangerous, and cowardly. If Speaker Johnson and his buddies want to come after Social Security, well, they should at least have the guts to do it in public. Johnson, by the way, according to the Alliance, earned a 0% pro-retiree score in the Alliance for Retired Americans Congressional Voting Record. Not good, and Bill is going to get into all of that as our first guest. Later in the show, we're going to go to uh, Tony Cardwell. He's been on the show before. Tony serves as president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees, which is a division of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, proud sponsors of America's Workforce. Our website is bmwe.org. You may recall about a year ago, the, uh, the rail situation was not good, and they were talking about going on strike, which is not easy to do. There's like 12 unions in, uh, in the rail industry, and uh, the big problem was not getting paid sick leave. Well... They are slowly getting that. The Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division recently announced a new agreement with BNSF that gives members four paid sick days per year. 
The agreement provides the paid sick days on an annual basis to every qualifying maintenance of way employee. In addition, three paid personal days can also be used as paid sick time off. And if the members don't use it, the remaining time can be contributed to their 401k plans. So definitely moving in the right direction. We'll talk to uh, Tony about that and more as our second guest on the show. And now a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. The United Auto Workers Union said Wednesday it has reached a tentative contract agreement with Ford that could, that could be a breakthrough toward ending the nearly six-week-long strike against the big three. The deal, which still have to be approved by 57,000 union members at Ford, could bring a close to the union's series of strikes at targeted factories run by Ford, GM, and Stellantis. Now, the Ford deal could set the pattern for agreements with the other two automakers. The UAW called on all workers at Ford to return to their jobs and said that will put pressure on GM and Stellantis to bargain. This is what Sean Fain said. We told Ford to pony up, and they did. We won things no one thought possible. He added that Ford put 50% more money on the table than it did before the strike started September 15th. Chuck Browning is a vice president with the union and the chief negotiator with Ford. He said workers will get a 25% general wage increase plus cost of living raises that will put the pay increase over 30% to above $40 per hour for top-scale assembly plant workers. And this is by the end of the contract. Previously, Ford, Stellantis, and GM had all offered 23% pay increases. And when those talks started, Ford was offering 9%. Assembly workers will get 11% upon ratification, almost equal to all of the wage increases workers have seen since 2007. Typically, during past auto strikes, a UAW deal with one automaker has led to other companies matching it. So we'll see. Now, GM said in a statement, it is, quote, working constructively with the union to reach an agreement as soon as possible. Stellantis also said, it's committed to reaching a deal that gets everyone back to work as soon as possible. Browning said temporary workers will get more in wage increases than they have over the past 22 years combined. Temp workers will get raises over 150%. And retirees, they'll get bonuses as well. Browning said, Thanks to the power of our members on the picket line and the threat of more strikes to come, we have won the most lucrative agreement per member since Walter Ruther was president. Ruther, by the way, led the union from 1946 until his death, which was in 1970. Fain said that the union's National Leadership Council of Local Union Presidents and Bargaining Chairs will travel Sunday to Detroit well, they'll get a presentation on the agreement and vote on whether to recommend it to members. Sunday evening, the union will host a Facebook Live video appearance and later will hold regional meetings to explain the deal to members. And while on the picket line at Ford's Michigan Assembly Plant west of Detroit Wednesday night, 
Local union leaders invited workers across the road to the union hall for a briefing on the deal. And as they trickled out of the building, many were smiling. Most were relieved. One worker by the name of Keith, and I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, Jergelowitz. Keith said, it's an emotional time for me. I'm emotional. But super excited that this is over with. I just can't wait to get back to work and get on with my life. He said he's happy that the end of the strike came during his shift on the picket lines where he has faithfully appeared for all of his shifts. Wow. This is something. It really is something. We'll see what happens here in the next couple of days. Meanwhile, schools, shops, banks, and Iceland's famous swimming pools all shut down Tuesday as women in the island nation, including the prime minister, even the prime minister, they all went on strike to push for an end to unequal pay and gender-based violence. The folks in Iceland awoke to an all-male news team announcing shutdowns across the country with public transport delayed, hospitals understaffed, hotel rooms uncleaned. Trade unions, the strike's main organizers, called on women and non-binary people to refuse paid and unpaid work, including chores. Get this. 90%, 90% of Iceland's workers belong to a union. Can you believe that? 90%. The prime minister said she would stay home as part of the strike and expected other women in her cabinet to do the same. And they did. Iceland has been ranked as the world's most gender equal country 14 years in a row. This is by the World Economic Forum, which measures pay education, health care, and other factors. No country has achieved full equality, and there remains a gender pay gap in Iceland. The walkout on Tuesday, running from midnight to midnight, was billed as the biggest since Iceland's first event, October 24th, 1975. And that's when 90% of women refused to work clean or look after children to voice anger at discrimination in the workplace. That is one interesting country. But what gets me on this? 90% of the country's workers belong to a union. Nine out of 10 people belong to a union. Contrast that with the United States, where it's probably one out of 10. Just about the opposite. Wow. Wow. All right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Washington and check in with Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot 
The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to line number one. Welcome our longtime contributor. That would be Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he has been serving as Government Affairs Director Lots of news here in the last 24 hours. Uh, Bill, I was prepping the show for uh, the fact that we will not have a speaker, but apparently we have a speaker. And then on top of that, we got news late last night that Ford has reached a deal with the UAW. If you don't mind, let's let's start off with that. Uh, what are you hearing about the uh, about the tentative deal right now, Bill? Yeah, we don't know much. Of course, uh, President Fain's going to share that with the membership first. Um, he. He was on uh, line last night, you know, on Instagram, uh, posting a couple of details about the Ford agreement, a big pay increase over the life of the contract. Uh, I don't know much else, but I assume that the, uh, the uh, things that he picked up along the way for, with at GM and Stellantis all apply to Ford as well. It's a little hard to, to know. We're, you know, we're... Uh, we're not in the in the room with him, uh, so I think the membership will find out, you know, today, tomorrow, over the next uh, few days, uh, what's in the agreement, and then they get to vote on it. This is their decision, of course, whether they uh, ratify the contract. It sounds like uh, Fain's pretty happy with it. You know, he said record profits, record contract, and I assume that's what he's what he's delivering. So, you know, there are a lot of important issues on the table: uh, job security, pensions, COLA. Uh, wages, uh, two-tiered system, uh, you know, all those things we, we've been reading about. And, and uh, one has to assume he's satisfied with the agreement he got it forward. Now he's going to, you know, he'll have to get that uh, across the finish line with the membership and, and hopefully deliver the same uh, kind of contract uh, at Ford, at uh, GM and Stellantis, but we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out here soon enough. It, you know, I'll tell you, I got to hand it to Sean Fain. This guy is one heck of a labor leader. And uh, he was just quoted the other day 
saying, well, you know, that we got up to like 23%. We're just going to hold out for more because every time the big three said, well, we're, we're at the end of our rope, they come up with something new. And apparently that's what happened yesterday. And, uh, you know, the big three really put themselves in a, in a bad spot here, especially uh, I think it was GM when they gave themselves, what, 40% bonuses last year. And then uh, the shareholders, apparently, in uh, Ford, this was Ford just uh, last week, they announced that they were paying out $600 million in dividends to their shareholders. So, you know, obviously, Sean Fain did his homework. He did his homework on this whole thing, and he's got a certain militancy about him, and he certainly engaged the members. Compared to years past, isn't this kind of dramatic? I mean, you've been, you've been watching these things for a long time, and this is, this is different, isn't it? Well, I think he tapped into what's, you know, the anger that the you know general public is feeling about corporate greed. He was, you know, he was very out front talking about that. He, he, he didn't mince words about the huge uh, payouts that uh, corporate executives have been getting while the membership has been, uh, you know, uh, dealing with, you know, contracts that didn't uh, provide the, the kind of pay raises and, and benefit increases that they felt they deserved and that the company uh, w- was was taking for itself, you know, the, the, the shareholders and, and the executives. So uh, he was out there with that, and he was very clear. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a good spokesman for the union, obviously. And uh, I think, as I said, I think he tapped into something that um, is very real out there. And it's not just at the UAW, you know, the Writers uh, Guild uh, uh, went through that and got a contract uh, you've got uh, uh, workers on strike in Detroit and casinos, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. I mean, there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot of there are a lot of angry people, and I think uh, all they want is a little fairness, uh, you know, in in their in their contracts and at work, uh, and they're willing to strike over it. Yeah, yeah, we may see a strike um, in Vegas with the. Uh culinary workers union they may shut down the hotels over there it's all in the timing it really is i mean unions are are hot right now they're hot and and workers are hot because they they took it in they took it on the chin here over the last couple of years and the pandemic i say the pandemic changed everything that obviously did and they're still trying to get their just rewards as a result all right let's switch gears Talk about what happened. Uh, surprise yesterday, huh? What? I mean, did you expect well, I, this I, to happen? I think, the, I think the Republicans were exhausted. I think the last man standing uh, was this fellow Mike Johnson, who people don't know that well. He's only been in Congress since 2016. A very short, you know, short amount of time for someone to ascend to the top post in the House, third in line for the presidency. Uh, extremely conservative. He's from a you know, relatively uh, rural district in, uh, I think, western Louisiana, includes Shreveport. That's the major city there. Um, he, uh, you know, he really is a MAGA Republican. I mean, I hate to use the expression they use, but uh, if you saw Matt Gates last night declaring victory, this is the, you know, the one from Florida, member from mm-hmm. Florida who engineered the removal of Kevin McCarthy for being too squishy, which, you know, when you look at his, you look at all of their records, they're, they're similar, certainly on labor issues, terrible uh, voting records on labor, uh, you know, on programs like Social Security, Medicare, Education, Affordable Care Act. Uh, they're, they're just all, they're, so, they're all cut from the same cloth. I think Mike Johnson's, uh, I think his strong suit was that he was a, he's a fairly likable fellow you know he's a you know sunday school teacher 
that type. I mean, that's his personality. Um, I saw a picture last night of him, you know, praying in the house with a group of other house members during a, 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 a dispute sometime earlier in the year uh, over some issue. So he's, you know, I think that this is the kind of guy that they turn to when they they run out of everybody else. Uh, you know, he's the fourth candidate. Um, to say he's a dark horse would probably be an understatement. I think if he'd asked me a week ago, I'm not sure I could have picked Mike Johnson out of a crowd. He's now the speaker, as I said, third in line to the presidency and with a very conservative record. Uh, you know, he led the, was one of the leaders in the House Republican Conference, uh, determined to overturn the results of the election. Uh, he's a constitutional lawyer. He's a smart guy and, you know, in, in, in that respect, um, but again, he's uh, he's about as right, extreme right wing as they come. We've never had a speaker like this. Normally, they come from sort of the center, at least of the Republican Party. He's yeah. from the right fringe of the Republican Party, although the whole party has moved in that direction. So maybe he's a good reflection of where most of the party is. The fact that the moderates voted for him is that something to read into here or that you or you you you're indicating that they just want to get this process over i, with I think so i mean it's a little disappointing you know he, he as the head of the republican study group it's one of the one of their caucuses you know he's put out documents about eliminating entirely prevailing wage i mean he his labor voting record is basically zero he has never voted with organized labor my guess is if he could eliminate the national labor relations act he would do it in a heartbeat oh. and by the way the, the what's on the table now for the republicans to vote on sometime in the next month is a hundred million dollar cut in the national labor relations board so all the progress we're making at the board can be wiped out um, but similarly, the Department of Labor, uh, in, the, in a proposal he supports, uh, would be cut by a third. You know, thirty. Actually, it's more. I think it's almost it's like thirty-eight percent or something in the last Republican budget proposal, uh, which he supports and wants to bring to the floor. He's already he said that yesterday. He wants to bring the Labor Department bill to the floor in the next month. Um, I'm not sure McCarthy ever thought he'd get that across the. House floor and had no plans to bring it up, but Mike Johnson, again, from the, the the most conservative fringe of his caucus, wants to bring it up and pass it. But this all spells trouble for the country because Senate Democrats aren't going to go for that. President Biden's not going to sign a bill like that. You know, we've got a potential shutdown uh, happening in just uh, uh, under three weeks. It's uh, November 17th, or about three weeks. Um, he, may, he may pull the uh, House Republicans past that Cliff, he may say, give me more time. I just got elected. You know, give me 30 more days or 60 more days. So we may avoid a shutdown. But his caucus, they want to see uh, immediate cuts in government spending, even to agree to a continuing appropriations resolution to get us past November 17th. So I think we're going to be right back in the, uh, you know, uh, in a stalemate, to, you know, at the at best uh, in a couple of weeks. And we'll, we'll see. It's... it's uh, People are celebrating today. I think they're going to wake up realizing, gee, what did we do? Who did we elect? <laughs> yeah. How are we going to get past this? You know, yeah. and, and the moderates, as you started to you asked, asked the question, I, I can't explain their behavior other than that they were exhausted. They needed leadership. They need, they need to have somebody running the House. Now we'll see if they vote with him. If they do, I think they're going to, they're going to have a very hard time going home and explaining themselves. 
I heard he was anti-union. I didn't realize he was anti-prevailing wage as well. Is he one of that? There's a group that wants to go with a national right-to-work plan. Is he part of that? Oh, I'm sure he's work? a co- I, I, I can't swear to it, but I'm sure he's a co-sponsor of national right-to-work. You know, two-thirds of the Republican caucus are, and he's from the most conservative wing of it, so I'm sure he is. Um, he's, he's supported every anti-labor bill that's, uh, he's a co-sponsor, I should say, of every anti-labor bill that's been introduced uh, over the past uh, six years that he's been uh, in Congress. Um, you know, it hasn't been a, his focus, um, very uh, anti-choice, as, as I'm sure you're You've, you've heard, and LGBTQ rights. I mean, he's really, culturally and economically, he's from the most conservative wing of the party. But I, as I said, he comes across as kind of a low-key, uh, friendly uh, you know, guy. And I think that's, you know, people, I think they were just looking for that after Jim Jordan, who's, you know, pretty nasty, pretty hard-edged. I think people weren't really, think they, they weren't ready to have him be the face of the party. But Mike Johnson, they figure... You know, people aren't going to pay close attention to his his views, but I think they're wrong. I think people are going to, voters um, are, are going to learn what, what Mike Johnson's all about, and I think it's not going to, it's not going to wear well. Yeah, it could be that wolf in sheep's clothing, I guess, I exactly. guess we'll find out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. We'll continue with Bill. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Tony Cardwell. Tony president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees, and they got some good news. A new agreement with BNSF giving members four paid sick days per year. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. 
You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always, always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. Let's go back to Washington and rejoin Bill Samuel, Bill, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. Talking about the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. He was selected yesterday, and the vote was unanimous on behalf of the Republicans. Bill, I want to talk about Social Security. Got a uh, email last night from uh, the Alliance for Retired Americans. Rich Fiesta, not happy with the choice, as he put it. Mike Johnson isn't a household name, but he's made it clear that he has no intention of protecting seniors. And he went on to say it's outrageous that he announced plans to create a so-called debt commission during his first speech as speaker. This would meet behind closed doors and supposedly come up with schemes to cut Social Security and Medicare benefits. Not a good thing to say. (laughs) Not a good thing to say. Now, this is, as you know, Bill, this has come up. Many, I remember George W. Bush, when he was president, you remember that I he, do. Uh, he wanted to privatize social security. I mean, it's, it's keeps popping up all the time. Um, this has to scare you. This has to, this has to be of some concern to, uh, not just to organize labor, but to seniors. I'd like to get, uh, get your view on, on this move. Can, does this have any legs or what? Well, not, you know, and not to over politicize it, this, this will scare the bejesus out of moderate Republicans. You, you may remember uh, in the previous decades, they used to refer to cutting Social Security as the third rail of politics. We didn't want to touch it. Republicans always are forced to deny that they have any interest in cutting Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid. And Mike Johnson has been very out front. Again, he comes from a, you know, a relatively rural district in the reddest part of, uh, you know, western Louisiana, where I guess you can get away with this, or maybe folks don't pay attention. But no, he's been out front on wanting to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. You know, he claims it's the driver of our debt. In fact, the very low taxes that corporate executives and corporations pay is a, one major reason we have high deficits. We have the lowest tax rates we've had in decades, uh, especially at the, at the high, higher end and the corporate, uh, in terms of corporate taxes. That's the way to deal with our, our debt and deficits. Put people to work, they will pay taxes on their earnings, and that's how you solve the deficit crisis. He doesn't want to spend money on infrastructure. He doesn't want to spend money on seniors, health care, education, preschool. There's a long list of things he wants to cut. And this is right out of the sort of the most conservative Republican playbook. But, you know, the closer you get to election, the, the more you're going to see Republicans running away from these ideas. Whether he can uh, get away with it, I don't know. It's, but I will tell you, it's going to stick to him because he's been very clear about it. Uh, in his in his short career in Congress, you mentioned infrastructure, and he was among the group that voted against the bipartisan Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Is that right? He he he's voted against almost every every spending bill that's come across the House floor. Uh, you know, since he's been in Congress, uh, yeah, I think his his view is we need a much smaller 
federal government, uh, a much leaner federal government. And I, you know, there are some programs that probably could be reined in some. I mean, we spend an awful lot on defense. I think $700 billion a year has probably gone up to $800 billion by now. And as I said, we have the lowest corporate tax rates we've had uh, in a generation. Um, but it, yeah, basically his focus has been on spending, the spending side, uh, not just on domestic programs like cutting the National Labor Relations Board uh, and child care and Head Start and preschool, you know, and education. He also wants to cut big programs like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. He thinks that's the root of all evil. And I, I think he's going to run into a brick wall if he tries to do that. Uh, I think his caucus is going to be running away from that, particularly in these moderate districts where you've got Republicans who were elected last time in districts that Biden won. I think they're going to be. I think they're all going to come to regret their vote for Mike Johnson. So the date is November seventeenth. That's the uh, that's when uh, they made the deal when McCarthy that's made right. the deal with Biden. So that date's funding in stone. Right. Government funding runs out on November seventeenth. The government will shut down at midnight if they don't have a deal. Wow! Unbelievable. You mentioned the cuts here. Um, is there a chance the defense might be cut here, or are they going to hold no. steady on that one? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't, you know, when we're at war in, you know, uh, Eastern Europe, now we're supporting Israel, I don't think there's any chance they're going to cut defense spending. And I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that the real cause of our deficits is not Social Security, Medicare, uh, or spending on, on roads and bridges and schools and health care. That's not why we have deficits. It's a very sm- actually a very small part of the budget, as it turns out. Um, they're going to have to figure this out by, this, by November 17th. As I said, because he just got elected, they may give Mike uh, Johnson a honeymoon. They may, you know, the most Republican, the most conservative Republicans may agree to continue uh, the, the, uh, the government spending at sort of current levels for another 30 days, 60 days, 90 days while he, while he gets his, uh, himself uh, in, in place to, to, to really become speaker. And in that case, they'll put, it, put off the deadline and using that as an excuse. Um, but there are some in the caucus that don't want to put it off. They, want, they like having these crises, these so-called you know, fiscal cliffs. They think that puts pressure on the rest of the Congress to, uh, to, to give in. And so we'll see if you know, in, in, uh, on November 17th, which is, what, uh, about three weeks from now, uh, whether he can uh, keep his party united. One more question here before we wrap up. Is there a chance that labor will still reach out to him and say, hey, look, you've been very conservative on these issues. You mentioned prevailing wage, voting against infrastructure, things of that nature, saying, hey, you know what, the rest of the country, I mean, it's almost like this conversation that we're having right now. You know, this may work in Louisiana, but maybe not in the rest of America. Maybe you need to compromise. Do you think that is a possibility, Bill? <laughs> I mean, anything's possible. We're, we're, you know, we never shut the door. We talk to Republicans all the time. We endorse Republicans. Uh, when I say we, uh, local union, local labor movements endorse Republicans for Congress and occasionally for the U.S. Senate. Uh, and we always, you know, we always give them a chance and uh, have an open door, uh, as and I'm sure we will with Mike Johnson. There's not, I don't have a, a good feeling about it. I think I think he's been pretty clear where he stands. Um, but, you know, it's one thing representing this district in western Louisiana. It's another thing representing the Republican conference. You know, that he now speaks for Republicans on in New York, California, uh, 
Pennsylvania, you know, places in Michigan where the labor movement has a pretty pretty strong membership. And he's going to have to represent them too, and those members are going to assume that he's going to not put them in a box and force them to vote on all the things that he can get away with in Louisiana, like cutting Social Security, Medicare, wiping out the National Labor Relations Board, prevailing wage, you know, Head Start, uh, Medicaid, all the things that he has stood for and gotten away with. His conference is not going to go along, and uh, by and large, and I think he's, you know, we're going to, we'll certainly uh, sit down and talk with him. Uh, I don't have, you know, high hopes that he's going to, that we're going to convince him, but his colleagues may. His colleagues yeah. from more, more moderate districts may convince him. We'll see what happens, and we'll find out soon enough. All right, Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director for the AFL-CIO. Complete updates, aflcio.org. You take care, uh, and we'll we'll have an interesting conversation a month from now. Okay, buddy? I look forward to it. Yep, thank you. All right, Tony Cardwell is the president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees, and he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to uh, line number two right now. 
Welcome to the show, Tony Cardwell. Tony, well, he's been on before. He's president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way, which is a division of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, national sponsors here. Website is bmwed.org. Talking about the state of the railroad. And the good news is we're making some progress on paid sick days. This was a contentious issue about a year ago. And there was some talk of possibly, possibly, it wouldn't be an easy thing for it to happen, of a rail strike. But there's laws that prevent that kind of thing. But we are making progress. Tony, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about this uh, this agreement and uh, where it stands right now. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we, we just made some major improvements. Uh, with Birthing the Northern, we got an, an agreement uh, Brother the Northern's the second largest railroad in America, and uh, we had reached an agreement with them. That was probably our largest class one group that we didn't have an agreement with. Um, we reached a TA with them. It'll be voted on by the membership and, and uh, hopefully ratified. Uh, it's going to give them uh, four paid sick leave days like the rest of the country, um, and we're then going to uh, bring about, I think we're about 85% of all railroaders in America in the maintenance way department uh, into a sick leave agreement. And so we're working our way slowly through this, through the small railroads. We still have to finish off some, and the only class one left that we have uh, have a lot of work to do is the Canadian Pacific Railroad. Yeah, Canadian National Railroad has offered an agreement. We're almost there. It's likely that we'll be uh, in agreement pretty soon with those folks, um, but then we'll be moving on to Canadian Pacific Railroad, and once we reach agreement with them, all the class ones will be done, and then it'll just from then on it'll be just the short lines, uh, railroads, the small groups. Uh, we're we're picking them off one by one. We have probably about half of those done as well, so we're close to to getting there. Like I said, we're about 85 percent of of our membership has a sick leave agreement in place right now and offered to them, and uh, so we're we're getting close, and we're working through the rest of the country and. As uh, you may know, um, BMWED had pushed this issue. We had failed ratification, and so um, we had we had taken the sick leave fight to the carriers. And ultimately, our goal was to you know bring some form of sick leave agreement. It is only four days. All the agreements are four days, um, but uh, it's four days that they didn't have before, and it's a major improvement. We're going to continue to expand upon that, and and hopefully we can get to where we have you know, what, what most Americans have, um, uh, most unions have uh, a stronger sick leave agreement, but it is four days for that members didn't have before. And so we think that that's a, a huge improvement. We're just going to keep working at it and, and try to get that up to, you know, seven or eight days uh, or more if we can. And uh, so we're pretty excited. Uh, it's working pretty well right now. Uh, we've had a lot of support from some of our friends in Congress uh, to push it, push this issue. Uh, and we've, we've, um, it's helped us find a more receptive bargaining ground when the pressure from the government is, is on them as well. So um, right. carriers have been more willing to move. Yeah, this was a yeah. huge issue, a huge issue. And I'm reading that uh, in addition to this, three paid personal days can also be used as paid sick time off. And if you don't use all of that paid sick leave, the remaining time can be contributed to their 401k contributions so uh, definitely a step in the right direction. But as far as getting this done, I mean, it took a while. Uh, maybe you can walk us through some of these negotiations. Were, were, were the railroads more or less embarrassed by the fact that they didn't even have this in place to, to, to start with? 
Yeah, it was, it was uh, well, I don't think they're embarrassed. I think they liked not paying it, and they were embarrassed once the public found out they didn't have it in place. I think the railroads are impossible to embarrass until the public shame comes upon them. And uh, what happened is when, when, you know, we had a pretty solid wage increase and we had GWIs in the contract, we had a, you know, a, a very good benefit package. And so um, when we... Um, when we brought the issues to the to the American people, and the Americans, you know, started finding out, the Americans started finding out that hey, you know, why, what's the real issue here? Why this is a pretty good wage package, a pretty good benefit package? And we explained to them, you know, on on some TV shows and podcasts like yours and others, we explained that look, the issue has nothing to do with wages. You can make all the money in the world, but if you have no quality of life, then it's not a, you know, it's not an exciting or good place to work. When you can't get home when you're sick and you, you can't be home when your wife's got to go to radiation because she has cancer or you can't get home because your kid can't be at school and he's sick and you're a single parent, this is a problem. And so our, our, our folks have no sick leave. So when they go home for these issues, they're disciplined. They receive discipline on their record, and after so many disciplines and so many absences, you end up with higher level disciplines, and eventually you can end up in termination status. And this is a problem for our members. And when the Americans, you know, public heard this, they, they were frustrated because they thought, well, what in the world? That's simple. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you have sick leave? Everyone's got sick leave. Anyone can call in sick. Well, the railroad has shrunk its workforce to a place so radically low that it's impossible to let a guy go home sick on virtually any gang in America. We call them gangs. The work crews are called gangs. And so any gang in America that you're working on, it's impossible for you to call in sick because you're so crucial to the gang because they have no backup. They, they, they shrunk the workforce down so small that if one guy doesn't show up, it renders that gang you know, useless because they can't operate. It's, a, it's unoperable because they need every individual that's there because they shrunk that workforce down so low. So the problem, of course, that, that the, the carrier has is that, you know, when they let one guy off, it's a problem. So they have to expand and, and do more hiring, and, and they are slowly starting to do that. But, um, you know, when, when our um, brothers and sisters in other organizations and, and the American public heard that this is a, this is a problem, they said, well, that's, that's simple. Why, why wouldn't you just allow that? Why wouldn't the care? Why would the care discipline somebody for being sick? Didn't seem logical, particularly you know on on the precipice of, of uh, COVID, and yeah. so you know this turned into a, a, a real issue, and it and it it resonated with the American people. Whether you're anti-union or you're pro-union, uh, you know the public, general public, thought, well, that's ridiculous, and so yeah. the, the railroads were then shamed in, into it, and after they. They wouldn't give it to us in the contract. We asked the group that bargains for the railroad carriers if, if we could come away with a you know sick leave agreement. We even offered just a couple of days at that time. They refused to do it, and so we said, "Well, we warned them. We said, look, we're going to take this out to the to the media, and this is going to be become a problem for you.'" Well, they didn't believe us. They didn't think it would become an issue. They didn't think that it would get the national attention that it did, and so they said no. And and uh, so when we brought it. You know, out publicly, they asked us if, you know, they basically told us that if we worked on an agreement, that that you know, would you would you be quiet? You know, would you stop all this public information because it didn't look good for the railroads? And so, uh, we had the we had a CEO, Joe Hendricks. He had he had stepped up finally and said, hey, 
we're ready. Uh, we're ready to do an agreement on CSX. He was a new CEO in the industry. Yeah, uh, he'd come from Ford General Motors, and he thought that it was. I think he thought that it wasn't good that we didn't have sick leave, and so uh, we found a CEO that was sympathetic to the issue, and he he offered an agreement. We worked on that a little bit, got it where it needed to be, and uh, we were able to get an agreement done with them. And so I think that kind of started the flow because the rest of the railroads realized yeah. that they're going to have to do it or eventually they're going to end up getting it shoved down their throat because um, we're working on legislation to Congress to get it done as well. Tony, you mentioned that uh, they're hiring more. And I recall, I mean, they were down, I believe the whole industry was down by well over 40,000. And a lot of this was over the pandemic years. I'm just wondering, how, how are we doing? I know they've hired some back, but don't we have a long way to go yet? Yeah, we have we have um, we have an inc- uh, workforce that was decreased from 2016 by nearly 30 percent in the maintenance way department. Other crafts were hit harder; some were hit a little less. Um, our craft was hit, but you know, I think it's 20 to be exact, it's 29 percent uh, from 2016. And so when we r- ran the numbers and and explained that to the carriers and explained this to the STB, which is the government oversight agency that oversees a lot of railroad service transportation board. Um, there's there's frustration because that creates an unsafe work and uh, unsafe for the public because when you're low on workforce, it's hard to get the maintenance done. It's hard to keep, you know, the trains on the track and, you know, hence you have things like East Palestine happening. And so we have done, you know, a, a bit of public shaming on that issue as well to bring public attention to this, to understand that, look, these trains operate through your communities. And, and when you can't, when you don't have enough workforce to inspect and maintain the track, um, and particularly my, my craft, which is, uh, you know, the maintenance away craft, it's, it's a problem. And, and this becomes a problem for average Joe out there in, in East Palestine, for example, and, and the devastation that it caused there. So we did a public drive on this to try to increase the workforce. We're continuing to do that. Um, the hiring has come up. I would say that we've got maybe 7% increase, uh, so we're not even close to where we need to be uh, mm-hmm. because you have this attrition thing going on too. Uh, railroaders are attrition out through retirement and different things, and so you have uh, you have to keep up with attrition and increase upon that. So you can't just hire enough people to maintain the levels. You have to hire enough to maintain the levels and bring your workforce back up, you know, 20, 30% to where it needs to be. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that the railroads, because of the cost, the, the railroads simply don't want to do. In the last podcast that we had, I explained, you know, this problem as well. And, and you know, we want everyone all your listeners to understand this affects you if you got a railroad within you know so many miles of, of where you live you want to make sure that your your community is safe and that you don't aren't dumping toxins or causing huge fires or forest fires or any of that type of stuff happening because of railroad negligence right um, and so we want to make sure we have enough people to operate trains and and work on the tracks and do the signal apparatuses to make sure they're taken care of so that, you know, so that there's, it's a, it's a safe um, uh, form of, op- of operations and transportation. And uh, so we need, you know, we do need public support on these things. It's not whether you're pro-union or anti-union. It's not, but you, you, you want to live in a safe community. You don't want to have to have a situation like East Palestine in your backyard. 
And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're continuing to put the pressure on the railroads to bring that hiring up. And, of course, you know, the first statement from the anti-union sector people, they'll say, well, you know, you just want your membership to increase. So that really has nothing to do with it. Uh, our membership is at a, at a rate we're fine. And financially, we're fine. All those things, all the crafts are fine. The problem is, is that we care about safety. We care about these communities. When you have to go see the aftermath of something like East Palestine, it's it's uh, it's upsetting. It's it's you, when you see what and talk to the people in that city and see the devastation that they went through. You don't want to ever see that again. Yeah. Uh, and so you know we're at a place to where we want to get that workforce where it needs to be, so that there's you know the railroads are operating safer. And you wouldn't believe the amount of money and time they spend just to fight against basic safety things because it increased cost. And any time costs are increased and money and a dollar is taken away from the railroad, it fights hard to, to protect itself from from those additional costs. And unfortunately, uh, that causes us problems. I mean, how dare you take, you know, a few hundred million out of their out of their pockets when they're making billions and billions of dollars uh, to, to protect the general public. And that that's not that's not where we want to be now. Some of the railroads are, are recognizing this and, and dealing with it. Uh, Amtrak, for example, they're they're hiring at a really high rate, and they're 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 keeping up with where they need to be, and they're they're you know providing a strong workforce. Uh, but some of the some of the other railroads just don't just seem to not not care, and it's unfortunate. So yeah. Well, a lot of these issues would be addressed in the Rail Worker and Community Safety Act. And I know we're a little tight on time with you, so maybe we could set up another conversation here on the show to talk about that. I know it was recently introduced. And also, we could find out, too, if your members ratify that deal on the on the paid sick leave. Could we do that, uh, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about the Rail Safety Act. It's, it's important, and it's, we call it the Rail Safety Community Act. A safety act. So we want to make sure the community understands it's important for them as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely, I'd love to talk about that. It's going to be important legislation, and we, you know, we want Democrat and Republican alike to to support this bill. Um, so we're we're hopeful. Okay, real good. Tony Cardwell joining us on our live line. He is president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees, a division of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Website bmwed.org. You stay safe, and uh, we'll uh, we'll set up another time. Okay, brother. Yep. Thanks for having me on, brother. And I and it's nice talking to you guys again. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce tomorrow. The new president of the United Steelworkers, and more from the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.